the, to the ways um, of God, to the temple, their lives are devoted. And yet he says this about them. He says, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In vain do they worship me. So imagine you're a Pharisee and you spent your whole childhood, your whole adult life in the temple, studying scriptures, talking about scriptures, yet you have no proper understanding, you have no heart behind what you're doing. You're doing it for nothing. And when I, when I think about that, sometimes I feel a bit um, convicted because I know surely um, sometimes I've also done that, where my heart is far from God, um, where my lips say the things that I need to say and my body does the things that it needs to do, but there's no heart behind it. Um, that's not what worship is. Um, there's a definition that I found um, by Louis Giglio. He's a very well-known pastor. Um, and he kind of simplifies it in a way that I can understand, and I think it's fantastic. So he says, if I can, he says, worship is our response to what we value most. Now, that's very powerful. Uh, so I'll let you read it again. Worship is our response to what we value most. Did you know that we were made to worship? And that whether we know it or not, we are worshiping something. And that's a very scary thing to think about because the thing that we value most is what we're worshiping. Imagine, I'm going to put this down for a second. Imagine that there's a podium, right? Um, the thing that you put by number one, that is what you value most. Now, I like to remember it in terms of the podium. Um, God is number one, or should be. That's the way we were designed. We were designed to put God in the first place. Um, but it doesn't always happen that way because we live in the world and we get distracted, we get tempted. And so sometimes that first place gets um, over, overtaken by friends, family, relationships, sex, financial stability, phones, oh my goodness, social media, all of that. Even yourself, you could put yourself up there and... Um, uh, I've done that plenty of times, you know, myself and my identity, who I am. Um, you can even put church up there. Yep. Uh, it's possible to worship church and not worship God. Um, but we were made to worship something. We were made to put something in that number one spot, and, and everybody does it. Whether they are Christian or not, they are worshiping something. And so our jobs as Christian is to put God first. So I'm going to look at um, the scripture, uh, Romans 12, and it talks a little bit about what worship is. So I'm going to read. Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Now I've underlined offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, and I've underlined true and proper worship. What I like about that verse is that it implies that there's an improper and a false way to worship, um, as I mentioned earlier. And um, if we take it back to the Louis Giglio definition of what worship is, it's a response. So we are responding in view of God's mercy. We are responding to God's mercy, God's grace, what he's done for our lives. And how do we respond? We respond by 
offering our bodies as a living sacrifice. So the people who wrote things like surrendering, spot on. That is um, our response, and that can look um, different in every person's life. It doesn't have to look the same. Um, but yeah, we are called to worship truly and properly. Um, and when we invite Jesus into our hearts, we're saying, God, I need your mercy. I need your grace. I'm not good enough to make it on my own. And there is that transaction, that giving up, that surrendering, that when we ask Christ to come into our lives, that we are now his. So that transaction is a response. But it doesn't end there. Unfortunately, it does not end there. We still have to choose every day to respond to that grace. We have to choose every day to respond to what God has done in our lives. And so that could be quite difficult. We're going to carry on in verse 2. It says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Something that I think is the most difficult thing that any 21st century westernized Christian has to deal with is this concept of conforming to the pattern of this world. The world is in our face. It's in our pocket, in our phones. It's everywhere we look. We are confronted by the world. And the world also agrees that we worship things, uh, we are all in agreement that we are all worshipping something. As a Christian, we believe that we worship God. And in the world, they believe you worship anything. Anything could be your God. You could be your God. Whatever you like could be your God. You define your own God. You, do, you worship whatever you want to worship. That's kind of the pattern of this world. And as a Christian nowadays, it is increasingly hard to worship God and not worship the things of the world. Um, yeah. Uh, in my own life, I have a, a testimony of, of how I came back. A few years ago, I had left the church. Um, I left Christianity. I left praying. I left um, reading my Bible. I didn't go to church anymore. And this was during lockdown, so a lot of people didn't know about it. Uh, it was the perfect opportunity to slip away undetected. Um, I had I'd slowly started leaving the December 2019. And so by full-time lockdown, I wasn't really um, practicing Christianity at all. In fact, I decided to go my own way because I had been um, introduced to other ideas, ideas that I had found on my phone, through Instagram, social media, through the music I was listening to, and I found myself consumed by the world. And it took me a really long time because I'd let my heart go hard. When you choose things of the world, your perspective, your mind, all of it, your, your heart changes. And you start to walk away, your heart gets hard. And so that, that's what happened to me. At the beginning, I'm, I'm not going to lie, it was pretty good. The fact that I, I didn't have to go to church on Sunday mornings. Um, that I wasn't um, pressured by having quiet times. You, you know, sometimes people get um, guilty for not spending time with God. So I, I didn't have to worry about that. Um, I didn't have to worry about um, sinning because, you know, maybe there's no sin. Oh, there is sin, but it's, it's fine because I'm not going to subscribe to that anymore. That's very scary thoughts. Looking back, um, 
those couple of, uh, I think it was almost a year that I was away from the church, um, I, was, I was very hollow inside, very sad, very depressed and lonely. And I, looking back, I did actually hear God call me back multiple times. I just hardened my heart so much that I couldn't hear him or couldn't, wouldn't heed the call. And I'm just so grateful by God's grace that I've um, come back. And you're, thank you, God. Thank you, God, for your grace. Um, yeah, so I've tasted and seen the world, and I've tasted and seen God, and I can just say God is much better. Um, yeah, <laughs> so if anybody wants to chat about that. Um, yeah, in fact, in Timothy, 2 Timothy 1 verse 9, it says, He has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace, this grace was given to us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. Um, and so that's a pretty profound verse that I remember reading about how it's not up to me. <laughs> it's not because of anything I do or did, didn't do, but it's purely because of God's grace, purely because of God's mercy and because he's planned for our lives. Um, so now that we've... Um, talked about what worship is and what that can look like. Uh, I mean, we talked about what worship is. Um, true and proper worship is a surrendering, a putting God in number one. Um, there are so many ways to worship. And the cool thing about the Old Testament is that it was written in Hebrew. And in Hebrew, the cool thing about that is that the language is so beautiful. It's so colorful. Um, and it describes things that in English we don't have. Um, in English, our Bibles say things like, praise the Lord, or bless the Lord, O my soul. In Hebrew, there's a lot more behind the scenes. And so we're going to look at some of those words that, are mean, that mean praise, that mean worship um, in Hebrew and what they mean. Okay, the first one is barak. That means praise, but it also means to bow down in praise. And um, you find that... Uh, for example, in Psalm 63, verse 4, which says, I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. Now that changes how I read the, the verse completely, because yeah, yeah, I'll praise you, but if you read it with the context of this word to bow down in praise, there's that reverence that we are missing <laughs> from the word praise. Um, something that I've been thinking about lots, and my mom's been spe speaking to me about from um, her retreat that she went on, um, was this idea of being reminded of God to be in awe of him, to be reminded that God is somebody who is holy, that someone, someone who is worthy to be worshipped. Um, and so this is a perfect word, <laughs> almost, that describes down bowing down before him in praise. That's Barak. Let's see this next one. Yada. For the people that said, oh, no, but lifting your hands up in the Bible, is, it's not there. Um, it is. Yada means to, as an act of praise, to raise your hands in total surrender. So lifting as a response, see, once again, it's a response to what God is doing. You're lifting up your hands to say, as a sign, I'm surrendering to you. And so we find it in Psalm 9, verse 1. I will praise you, O Lord, with all my heart. I will tell of all your wonders. And that just changes the way that we read scripture, um, which I thought is very cool. Let's see this next one. Shabbat. 
It means to praise God in a loud tone. <laughs> so the people that <laughs> shout in worship or shout at home, it's biblical. <laughs> um, yeah, let's read from Psalm 63. Again, it says, Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. Some version says my lips will praise you. And so that praise, when you read, because your love is better than life. Ah! <laughs> and I think that adds so much richness to our worship. <laughs> so later today, when we're playing some music, if you feel like shouting, go for it. Shout praises to the Lord. Praise the Lord. He is good. That's another way to worship God. <laughs> um, this one is halal. It means to shine or to boast or to celebrate or to act like a fool. Like I immediately think of um, David when they were carrying the Ark of the Covenant. When he was walking with the Ark of the Covenant and he got so consumed with joy that he started dancing and tearing his clothes. He was acting like a madman. That was an example of halal. You can't help but to boast. I also think of the life of Paul. And so if you're ever looking for somebody who boasts about pain and suffering, you should check out that guy. Um, because he did a lot of this to, to praise God through boasting and, and shining, being a light, even if you look crazy doing it. Um, interestingly, uh, the word hallelujah comes from this root word halal and yah, which is part of the word Yahweh, which is God. So basically, hallelujah means praise the Lord. Um, and in Psalm 150, there's, um, it starts with praise the Lord. But in the, in the Hebrew text, it would say hallelujah, which is fantastic. Um, I didn't know that before. Hallelujah. <laughs> Uh, and the last one is Tehillah. That I'm, there's a lot more, but uh, I didn't want to um, go too much into it. Tehillah, it's actually not a verb. It's more of a noun. But it means spontaneously singing or singing or a hymn or having something like that. So Tehillah would be, for example, in Psalm 140. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. So it almost means like he has a song and and which leads me to my next point about singing and how important singing actually is in a congregation and in your own personal worship with God. Um, it's a response um, to God. And there is a word in the Hebrew um, uh, text, in the, especially in the Psalms, that actually almost command you to sing, to, that command. So in the Bible, there's about 400, 500 different uh, times where it mentions singing. And about 50 of those, um, according to my research, are commands or words that say, sing to the Lord a new song. Um, so you might be asking, why do we sing? Because uh, some people don't have that uh, singing ability. Like, it's okay. Um, you don't need to have a singing ability to sing. It's a, it's a proclamation. It's a response. Uh, I found this cool... Uh, website that said the top three points, and then I couldn't find another R word, so I just went with R-unite. <laughs> so the first point, why do we sing? Singing helps us remember what God has done in our life, and it's something that we can do communally. Uh, singing helps us to respond. It's an act of worship. Singing helps us to reflect. 
So sometimes the words that we are singing um, cause us to reflect, am I truly worshipping God? What do I need to do? And to reunite, um, it, it's a time to take the attention off ourselves, to fix our eyes on God together as a church, um, to get rid of any distractions. And so that's kind of why we sing and why singing in worship is such an important part of our, our lives. Um, 